Well, good morning, church. Good morning. I hope and pray that you are having a, uh, a great conclusion to this week. A little bit of snow always helps us remember it is Christmas time. I'm always thankful for that. We have our discussions when you come in, and we we're talking about if it's going to be cold, there better be snow. Otherwise, just bring spring on, right? But this always helps us sort of get a little bit more in the mood. I wondered how things went this past week. For those of you who participated in uh, last week's our $5 um, giveaway. Now, if you missed that and you're not sure what we did, um, I've got some extra envelopes up here. You can just see me afterwards. Um, But we're in the midst of this um, series called Our Family Will. And last week we focused on our family will be generous and kind to each other. And we equipped you and challenged you to be the church by generously showing kindness and generosity to others. We gave you an envelope. Everybody in the church got an envelope with $5 in it. Very simple, right? And we said, now go be the church with it. Go bless somebody. Go practice what we just learned. Go put it into action. And that came from our Benevolence Fund, which is our fund that we use to help those in need. So all of you as a church body got to join in and helping bless other people. And I heard back from some of you, and I said, you know, if you can, email me or call or text. Let me know what happened. I was curious. And I want to just share with you, um, and again, this isn't about patting ourselves on the back. All glory goes to God. And we are thankful that we can participate in this. And again, it's not about who needed the money or who needed the gift, because remember, um, there is someone out there who needs just, they just need kindness shown to them. And we can replicate God's undeserved kindness to us when we are showing that kindness to others as well. And so I, I heard from a few of you, um, someone passed on their blessings to Delta schools to help pay for their kids' lunches. They said there are students that who are in need, they're not eating because they don't have enough money. So they went and blessed some students. One family combined their money together and they went out to eat at a local restaurant and they went back in the, in the kitchen and blessed the dishwasher with the money. Uh, one person I ran into the other day, uh, they were at a store and they were there with their son and they'd taken the money and put it in individual envelopes and their, their son colored on the outside envelopes and he said, our son's going to be in charge of finding three people to give an envelope to today while they're in the store. And, and I talked to them. They found three different people and they were incredibly blessed. Another person emailed me and said they were at a restaurant and there was a soldier in front of them, three people ahead of them in line. And uh, they whispered to the cashier that they wanted to pay for the soldier's meal. And so they used that $5 to help pay for that soldier's meal. It's neat to hear these stories, how we are showing kindness to other people. We're showing generosity to other people. And that's what God did for us, right? And so we're, we're sort of putting that into action. Now today, um, we're going to have a different focus. Our family will bring joy to each other and serve one another. So the question is, though, what is joy? So we break this down and define it, because if we're going to be a family that brings joy to each other, we need to know how to do this. Because it's easy. Okay, so am I going to make them happy or am I going to make them joyful? Those are two different things. When we express happiness and we express joy, we need to understand that although they sound similar, and some people think they're synonyms, they're not. They're very different. Joy is a supernatural delight In God's goodness. It is internally based. Happiness is our translation from the Latin word fortuna. 
which we look and we see the word fortune or chance. It was actually the Roman goddess of luck, uh, fortune and fate. So obviously, people worshipped a false god, Fortuna, and they, you know they thought, well, she'll bring us luck, she'll bring us great fortune and fate. Um, but we know that that was a false god, right? If something works out in a way in which we approve, or we have great circumstances, or we say that was really good luck, you know, we're like, we're, we're happy, right? Because happiness is dependent upon what we acquired, what took place around us. If I get a new shirt, or I get a raise, or etc., you can sort of figure this one out for yourself. It makes you happy, doesn't it? When you get that thing you were sort of wanting, and if you don't get it, what do you do? You feel what? Sad maybe depressed, maybe that leads to anger. Those emotions can escalate, can't they? If you remember um, in one of those good old Christmas movies, Christmas Vacation, you remember Clark? The main character sort of blows up in one scene, and it's the scene that probably shouldn't be in the movie, but it's a scene where he was expecting to get that, that bonus, and the bonus wasn't what he thought he was going to get. And boy, did he get mad. His happiness was based on the materialistic, the external, the circumstances of the situation. And unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way. Joy, however, is not based on things or circumstances. It is an inner delight, an inner quality, and in, in, uh, delight in God. Now, here's the thing. Wouldn't we love to have a self-sustaining joy? I mean, it's always there, right? Because it seems like happiness fluctuates. It comes and goes again because what? The circumstances around us are always changing. We know that happiness can be taken away from us. We know it can just disappear in a moment. Let's talk about another Christmas movie, okay? Not that I'm big in the Christmas movies, but it is that time of the year, right? The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Now, if you remember that movie, the Grinch was up on his mountain and he looked down on Whoville and he saw all the Who people singing, and they're all excited. And he wanted to change that up. He was so jealous. He was so upset, right? So what did he do? He went down into Whoville, and he stole everything. He took their presents. He took their food. He took their decorations. He took it all. He wanted to rob them of their happiness and their joy. But he failed in one of those. See, in this story, you... You could take away maybe their happiness for a moment because he took away all their external things, the materialistic things, but he couldn't rob them of their joy because there was some kind of inner quality taking place inside the who people. And even though they lost everything around them, they still held hands and, as you remember, they gathered around that tree and they sang. That is sort of what I'm talking about. The happiness, the external, the materialistic things, and the joy, which is the internal, which is the delight in God. It sure feels like there are times, though, when people or something can steal our joy. It sure feels like there's times when if there was a bucket that contained all your joy, it feels like somebody kicked your bucket over and spilled all your joy out and it's gone, right? There's times it feels that way. No doubt about it. Even Paul, the great man of God, prayed to God and said, ask God to sustain his joy in the middle of everything that was going on around him. Two different scriptures. If you would, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 15. We'll have you look at that one and I'll read you the next one. But we always often look at Paul. Yes, he went through a lot and there's shipwrecks and trials and persecution. 
beating with rods. He was stoned. There was different things that happened to him. We know he went through great trials. But in Romans chapter 15, Paul wrote this. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Here Paul is saying, would you do me a favor? Would you join me? Would you pray for me? Even the greatest of spiritual leaders call out and ask for prayer. Do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 31. Pray. Here it goes. It gets specific here. Pray that I'll be rescued from those in Judea who refuse to obey God. Pray also that the believers there will be willing to accept the donation I'm taking to Jerusalem. Verse 32. Then by the will of God, I'll be able to come to you with what? A joyful heart. It'll be an encouragement to each other. He said, would you pray for me for these things? Because I would love to have a joyful heart. I need the joy of God in me right now. And like in the story how the Grinch stole Christmas, the circumstances around him would change. It'd go from good to bad. And it's almost like he needed somebody to supernaturally save him, like a, a superhero of some sort. But who would that be, right? Well, Paul knew who that was. Paul knew who that supernatural being would be. That supernatural force would be God's Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. Let me read this to you. Paul said this, And you became imitators. Now remember how we've been talking about, again, our series is Our Family Will. And everything we talked about really is who God is. And as we're told in Ephesians 5, we are to imitate God, right? Paul says this, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord... For you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Let me read that again. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. See, often Paul would associate joy with times of affliction. Now the word affliction here is used in this verse conveys the idea of a, a heavy pressure affliction. And the situation in which, well, one scholar says, this is the way this word is described in ancient history. It was used to describe the specific act of tying up a victim with a rope, laying him down on the ground, and then placing a huge boulder on top of his body and crushing him until he was dead. Paul used that word in this moment, when he thought others were being grueling, in sort of a crushing situation that's been unbearable and intolerable and almost impossible to survive if it had not been for the help of the Holy Spirit. These afflictions that he talks about with much affliction, that's that crushing boulder. He goes, but with the joy of the Holy Spirit, I am still sustained. One of the ways the Holy Spirit helps us in these situations is to give us a supernatural joy. And that joy is unaffected, again, by the outward circumstances, as Paul's describing, like that crushing boulder. This joy thrives best when times are tough. It's God's supernatural response to the devil's attacks in our life. The Greek word for joy is kara, which is derived from the word charis, which is the Greek word for grace. It's important to note that because it tells us categorically that joy comes from the grace of God. Joy isn't a 
human-based happiness that comes and go. Rather, true joy is divine in origin. It's a, it's a fruit that is manifested, especially in hard times. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, these Thessalonians were under great stress, under incredible pressure due to persecution. Yet in the midst of it all, they continued to experience great joy. How did they experience this great joy? In fact, the Greek strongly implies that their supernatural joy was due to the Holy Spirit working inside them. Paul called it what? The joy of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit is placed in our life, we are able to see something that is divine, something that is produced supernaturally. It isn't based on these outward events or circumstances, and it's that supernatural joy that sustains us in hard times. So how do we obtain, how do we even sustain this joy? How do we do this, especially when we're surrounded by circumstances that lead us to depression or hurt or anger or jealousy, and you can go on and on with various emotions? Well, here's what happens. If you're not feeling well physically, what do we do? We go to a doctor, right? And we get a prescription. So spiritually, when things are not going the way they should be, we go to our heavenly doctor, our great physician. We go to his word for a prescription to figure out what is God's remedy for this? How do we sustain joy? How do we obtain that joy and then sustain it? Maybe we should put it that way. Here's the first thing. To experience joy, we must first become a Christian. We must first become a Christian. God's word, the Bible, we know was written for all, right? But we also know this about God's word. A large portion of the Bible specifically pertains to those who are in Christ. If you are a Christian, we understand this. You can read through the whole Bible, and through God's help, he will help you understand his word. If you're not a Christian... You'll read through and you'll be confused. Matter of fact, there are some things that don't even pertain to you. But for the Christian, we see it's differently. There's a reason that those who are Christians and those who are not Christians can be confused or not confused according to what they read. I don't expect, I don't expect the world to forgive their enemies. Have you ever read in a post or somewhere online and it's like, I can't believe they're acting this way? I can because if you're not a Christian, you are going to act like the world. I don't expect, like the world, like I said, to agree with what I believe about various things. I don't expect them to agree with me about the origins of gender, or marriage, or abortion, or respect to authority, or truth. I know what God's word has to say about it as a Christian, and I stand on his word. But for the world who doesn't believe in God's word... They stand differently. The world, the world, those who do not believe in God, do not believe in the Christian's lifestyle. So first, we have to set ourselves apart from the world. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we are not to be associated, associated with this world in the way it lives. It's standards. Instead, we're to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. So we disconnect from the world and we connect with Jesus Christ. Because we know apart from Christ, we can do nothing. 
John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5 say this. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. This is Jesus Christ talking. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Spiritually speaking, unless we're connected with Jesus Christ, we can't do anything. You can't obtain the joy of the Lord apart from Christ. To experience joy, we first must have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because joy is supernatural, change occurs from the inside out. Only Jesus Christ can change the inside. There's, if there's no fruit and there's no evidence of a changed life, then you probably don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Before Jesus Christ arrived, we stood before a holy God. And we have fallen short when we are compared with our standards to his standards, right? Good works, resolution to be a better person. I'm going to try to be a better person. That doesn't matter. When we stand before holy God, whatever I've done, all my good works, doesn't matter. It doesn't add up. It doesn't save me. We basically lay all those things aside and we count them, as Paul said, a loss. We come to the cross to receive God's righteousness, the position of being right with him, a right standing with God. And we admit all that we have done falls short of God's glory and his holiness. We admit we deserve hell. We do. Our sins have basically put us to that position where this is what I deserve. But before the cross, we ask for God's forgiveness. We ask to receive God's Spirit by whom now you have the power to live that Christian life. John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says this, We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so you may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship, listen, our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so you may fully share our joy. You see, there is joy in having a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is joy in being a Christian. There is joy in knowing who God the Father is. And knowing the facts is not enough. Having a relationship with Him is what we need. God sent His Son into this world to what? Save the world, right? But we also know that He came to bring us Joy, internal, supernatural delight in God, in God's goodness. Open up your Bibles to the book of Luke. This is one of my favorite passages. How many times have you heard me say that? This is one of my favorite passages. God's Word, that's one of my favorite passages. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, familiar part of our Christmas story that we've, we read, we read often. The shepherds were out in their fields, And the angels appeared to them. Starting in verse 8, it says this, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. You might want to underline this next part. 
I bring you good news that will bring what? Great joy to all people. Okay, ask ourselves, what or who will bring great joy? Here comes the answer. The Savior. Yes, the Messiah. The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. Jesus Christ has come to bring us great joy. But you can't obtain that joy if you don't have a relationship with him. To experience the joy of the Holy Spirit, we must have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Another thing, to experience God's joy, we must have a life of righteousness and peace are necessary. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14, verse 17. You're in the book of Luke. Just head back towards the end of the book. you got Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You get to Romans, go to chapter 14. Paul sort of gives this progression here of what leads to joy. First of all, having that relationship with Jesus Christ, we, let's say we have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, what's next, Rex? What do we do next? Okay, I've got that relationship with Christ. How else now do I experience God's joy? Look what Paul says. For the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of eating and drinking, but what is it? He says it's of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do so you see that progression here? It's, it's a matter of righteousness. It's being right with God. It's experiencing holiness. When you're right with God, that means you are living in obedience with God. You're in that position that he has proclaimed for you. And then you experience peace. When you are living this holy life, you now experience the peace of God as you are living that holy life. And when you're at peace with others and you're at peace with God, you are supernaturally at peace in all these situations, you're able to, what? Trust God. And then you experience that joy that naturally follows. See, if you're not living a holy life, then you're probably living with guilt and shame. And you're not trusting God because you're trusting yourself. And if you're not doing anything, you're not experiencing joy. Sin keeps us from the source of joy. Living a holy life and trusting God can sometimes be confusing, right? Because it's like, okay, so I'm trying to live this holy life. I'm trying to live this righteous life. So I'm, I'm serving away. I'm, I'm serving away and I'm, I'm, I'm signing up for this at the church and I'm doing all these good things. And, and it's almost like trying to find that balance between sinning and then trying to serve so hard that we're almost basing our faith off of our works. We need to find that balance, right? Holiness, righteousness, which then leads to peace, which leads to joy. There's a third way to experience God's joy, and that is to get into God's Word. To experience God's joy, we must get into God's Word, and God's Word must get into us. God's Word and joy go hand in hand. Psalm 19.8 says, The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the hearts. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for the living. John chapter 15, verse 5, and then verses 10 to 12 says this. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remember, we just read this. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now we go on to verse 10, 11, and 12. It says this. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. 
just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Overflowing joy is found in the knowledge of God's character, which we find in God's commands, which we find in God's word. To experience God's joy, we must be in God's word, and God's word must be getting into us. You know, recently, um, we had a gentleman by the name of Zach Sorensen. He was a former Major League Baseball player. He came uh, and did a coaching clinic with us, and he was sharing something at this coaching clinic, and I took some of those things, I shared them with some of uh, our athletes and coaches at some of our practices. And so I know there's students who probably hear this today, but he shared this. He was listening and doing some studies. He heard that there was a study that showed how many thoughts run through the human mind in a minute. And he said there's 50 thoughts that run through your mind in a minute. Isn't that amazing? How our mind is just going, going, going. 50 thoughts run through your mind in a minute. How many of those do you think are negative? And how many do you think are positive? What do you think the percentage is? Here's what they did. They did a study and they said that the amount of negative thoughts that run through our mind is 74%. Three out of your four thoughts that went through your mind this last minute were negative. Now, hopefully not. Hopefully it's been all great, okay, because you're here at church, right? Maybe it gets balanced out when you leave, Okay. But as I was thinking about this, okay, 74% of the day. Now, Zach Swanson went on to say, okay, so he's driving, he heard this, and he did some more studying to find out. Then he pulled out his phone and said, hey, Siri, what was the major league batting average last year? How, in other words, how many times in the professional baseball league did people get on base safely? It was 0. .260. 26% of the time, major league baseball players were getting on base. 74% of the time, they were getting out. What's the percentage of negative thoughts that run through our mind? 74%. He thought that was a crazy t- statistic, right? And we know that 94% of the time we're making up our statistics as we preach. So, But I'm not making up. This is what he shared. He did some studies on it. But I thought it was very intriguing that 74% of the time our thoughts are negative. 74% of the time guys are not getting on base. We're getting out. Isn't that so true, though, that when we are negative, we're really we're out of it. When we are negative, we are out. So how do we change those negative thoughts to positive? How do we lower that percentage? Now, as Christians, I would say this. Read God's Word. Get into God's Word. Start reading it more. Find verses that you just sit there and say, this was an incredible verse. Write it out on a 3 by 5 card. Post it somewhere so you can see it. Read God's Word aloud. When I go to visit my mom at Thanksgiving, it never fails. She has verses with Thanksgiving on every mirror throughout the house and at the kitchen sink everywhere. So about anywhere that you might stand for a short time of um, duration, there's a verse in front of you so that you can read it. And be filled with something that is positive, right? Philippians 4.8 says one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy. Paul says, get your mind fixed on these things. Getting into God's word produces that positive mindset that allows you to experience that joy we find in his word. Now, we did something fun with this. And again, Zach Sorensen did this. And I did this with the, with the players. 
uh, and our coaches, but we use these four letters. What do you see when you look at these letters? Go ahead. You're allowed to talk at this moment in time. You rock and you are okay. You're correct on both of those, okay? You rock and you are okay. Now, we challenge some of the kids. If you hear some of the kids and maybe break in a huddle and they say, you rock, it's because they're doing one of two things here. When we mess up, we have a negative mindset, don't we? Like in, as, when I sin, I know I've blown it. I need to get right with God. But you know what? I know from the book of Romans, I know that there, therefore, therefore now there's no condemnation for those in Christ. I know that God forgives me. I know that I'm going to be okay. I need to tell myself, I'm okay. Thank you, God. I'm okay. He forgives me. And I also need to remind myself that in Christ, what? We're more than conquerors, right? I rock. Now, it's not about me, but it's being reminded who I am in Christ. I'm going to be okay, and I am doing well. We need to change that negativity into something positive. That belief often dictates our performance. Our mindset often determines our behavior. So with that in mind, take God's word, say it out loud. Find his scripture that pours truth into your life and feast on that. Experience God's joy as you look into his word. We need that because there's times people are going to come along and they're going to try to rob us of our joy. There's one who whispers lies to us. There's one who doesn't want us to know that there is an incredible internal joy, a delight in God. There's one whose name is Satan. He's very tricky. He is loving to throw out his various tactics to keep us from experiencing joy. He is a joy robber. Jealousy is a joy or is a joy robber. In Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 43, that's the scripture, and I'll just briefly tell you what it is. It's when Mary, who's discovered that she is with child, she goes to Elizabeth. And she's meeting, Elizabeth is with child too. And he, Mary shows up, she enters a house, she greets, and at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth says that the child leaped within her because that child was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 42 says this, Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women. Your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Elizabeth could have been very jealous. She could have been sitting there saying, I've got a baby. I've been waiting for so long to have a baby. I finally have a baby. Then Mary shows up, this little teenage girl, and she's pregnant. And she's going to tell everybody about the wonderful news that she's pregnant. And my news is so not important anymore. But Elizabeth wasn't that way, was she? And said she rejoiced with Mary. How often do we have somebody come into our lives and something positive has happened for them, and instead of celebrating with them, we're jealous of them? Oh, I can't believe they got that. Oh, I can't believe they, oh, they... They're so lucky. They always get that. Jealousy will rob you of joy. Be aware of that. Bitterness, unforgiveness is a joy robber as well. In the book of Luke, chapter 15, 25, 30, we have the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, the older brother, who is at home, he didn't squander off his dad's inheritance. He was faithful to his dad, serving away. The little brother goes off, spends all the money, is uh, broke, he's poor, messes up, right? Comes home, dad's so excited about the younger son coming home, throws a party, kills the fattened calf. And there's a party going, there's a celebration. And the older son is bitter. He gets mad. 
and he and his father had this conversation. That bitterness robbed him of that joy. Be aware of the thief who wants to rob your joy. When we experience the joy of the Lord, things change. And he does not want change in your life. God, however, does want change in your life. As a church family, our family will learn to have that joy. But we also want to know what it means to serve. Because here's let me continue with what joy is and how it leads to serving. When you look at joy, joy leads us to worship and sharing the good news. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 16. The joy of the Lord, that inner delight, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in that relationship with Jesus Christ, we start living this, this holy life, this righteous life, and we're experiencing joy, and we get into God's Word, and God's Word fills us with more joy. You know what that joy leads to? That joy leads us to worship and sharing the good news. Luke chapter 2, verse 16, it says this. They hurried to the village, the shepherds, okay? So they heard that the Savior, the one that's going to bring joy is, arrived, right? So it says they hurried, they ran to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph. When's the last time you saw somebody running to church? I can't, I'm so excited about the joy of the Lord, it's leading me to worship. I'm running to church, right? It happens all the time. Well, maybe not. Okay, but let's dream it does. There was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone. They told who? Everyone. What had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story, they were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying, praising God for all they heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. This joy led them to a moment of worship and sharing with everyone. They were so excited, like, we need to go tell everybody. Isn't this exciting? And they went, they ran, first of all. They had the attitude, I want to go worship. And then after they worshiped, they went and told everybody about it. That's what joy does. Joy also leads us to worshiping on a bended need and, giving, and having a giving spirit. Going back to Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 9, we have the story of the wise men. The wise men, after they had had their interview with the king, they went on their way. It says that the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the baby was born. Verse 10 of Matthew chapter 2 says, When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, and they saw the child and his mother, Mary. They bowed down, they worshipped him, and they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When they discovered where that baby was, where Jesus Christ was, they were filled with joy. And they got to Jesus. And what did they do? They went on bended knee, and they worshipped him. And they opened up their treasure. They gave. Joy does that. Joy leads us to worship and sharing the good news and putting us on a bended knee and having us a, giving us a giving spirit. But joy also leads us to serving. Serving flows from that joyful heart. It's an imitation of our Savior. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, when we've been going through this series, I spend a lot of time on the first one and about this much time on the second one. And here's why. Because the first one typically leads to more of the second one. In the book of Mark 10, 45, it says, For even the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came 
not into this world to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Philippians 2, 6-8 says, Though he was God, Jesus Christ, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. When Jesus came to earth, it involved humility and obedience. Humility is basically relinquishing what we have and receiving something that is generally regarded as something smaller or less than, something inferior. And we typically won't relinquish or give up something unless we know we're going to get something better, right? And honestly, a lot of us don't even give up things. We like to hoard things, right? But Jesus Christ, who could have kept it all for himself or could have said, you know what, I'm just going to hoard what rightfully belongs to me and stay in heaven. But instead, he laid it all aside and took on the form of man. He came to serve. And he gave up his life. One of his greatest acts of serving was when he washed the feet of his disciples. You can find that in the book of John, chapter 13. Church, I want to ask you, are you experiencing the joy found in Jesus Christ? Again, it's an internal thing, an internal delight in God. If you're like up and down all over the place, well, then you're probably experiencing a lot of happiness. But the joy of the Lord is different. It begins with having that relationship with Jesus Christ. And after having that relationship with Jesus Christ, it's living a righteous and holy life and trusting Him in which you find peace, which leads to joy. And then it's getting into God's Word. And as you get into God's Word and God's Word gets into you, you experience that joy. And when you experience all that joy, what does joy do? It leads us to worshiping God in a completely different way. It leads us to wanting to get on our bended knee and and praying to Him and serving Him in multitude of ways. That's a little hard to do on our own, isn't it? So again, we say, how do we do this? With the help of God's Spirit. Church, I want to encourage you and remind you, our family will bring joy to each other. Our family will serve one another. That's what it means to be a part of this church family. That's what it means to be a part of the family of God. So I want to encourage you, as you go today and throughout this week, ask God to help you experience His joy. Because with that joyful heart, it changes how you treat and serve other people. Would you please stand? And as you're standing, I'm going to ask, um, when you came in this morning, we had different greeters that were here, Linda and Joe and Lacey, and, and I, if you could do this, if you go ahead and stand, they're going to hand you a card. Here's the thing, as I said, joy leads us to wanting to go and worship, right? We want to invite people to be a part of experiencing God's joy. These are just a little um, little card that you can give out to somebody else to invite somebody to come on Christmas Eve to be a part of our church service. Sometimes it's, you know, it's like, well, I don't know what to say. Well, what did the shepherds do? When they experienced the joy of the Lord, they went out and they told everyone. 
So last week we gave you $5 and we said, go bless somebody. Go show generous, generosity and kindness. This week I'm going to say, with the joy of the Lord working through you, go tell everyone about an opportunity they can come and worship God. Some people don't have a place to go to worship. Others have other places, other churches they go. Awesome. Open prayer that wherever church they attend, they grow in God's spirit. But there's a lot of people who are unchurched. So this is just a simple tool to go and do like the shepherds did and tell everyone, with the joy of the Lord working through you this week, if you're excited about worshiping God, invite somebody to worship with you. If you want more of these, they're on the back table. When you go out, you can grab them out by the door and take more. We have plenty. But I want to encourage you to go out and share the opportunity for more people to come and worship an almighty God. Let's bow our heads and and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for being an awesome and mighty God. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to learn about you and to understand what it means to have the joy of the Lord, your joy within us, produced in us through your spirit. God, we want to experience that joy. So God, I pray that as a believer in Christ, you're giving me the strength to be obedient, to live a a righteous life, to trust you. God, for those that are here this morning, if there's somebody here this morning that's like, I don't have that relationship, then let today be the beginning of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right where we're at, we can ask for forgiveness. Admit that, you know what, we're falling short of God's glorious standard. That sin separates us from that relationship with Him. And God, we ask for your forgiveness of our sins. Take away those sins, God. Bridge that gap. It seems to be so distant at times. God, send your Spirit into our lives to guide us and direct us every step of the way because we need that. God, I thank you again for being a God who loves us so much that you would send your Son into this world to save us. What joy there is in that precious gift. God, this week as maybe we hear negative things or lies or things that come along that want to rob us of that joy. God, help us to put Satan in his place and remind him that the thief doesn't belong around here. But that your son came to give us life, abundant life, and we can experience that joy through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we sing to you now. Thank you again for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. In our name we pray.